You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Welcome to another Wiley Connected podcast. I'm Josh Turner, partner at Wiley's TMT Group and the co-chair of our Unmanned Aerial Systems Group. I do a lot of work with drones, and I'm here today with Nazak Nakaktar, partner of mine at Wiley, fairly new partner. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Nazak Nakaktar. As Josh said, I'm a partner at Wiley, co-chair of the National Security Practice, and I just left the U.S. government with my second tour of duty, serving both trade policy at the International Trade Administration and export controls at the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security. And what we wanted to do today was to provide an overview of uh, the what the government is focused on drones. Uh, today, the risks it's, it's publicly identified and some of the legal uh, regulatory actions that it's considering in terms of addressing the national security threats. The prevalence of drones across the United States has delivered enormous benefits, but it's also posed incredible dangers to national security. Of course, in addition to recreational uses, unmanned aircraft systems, UASs, also known as unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, are widely used by federal, state, and local governments to support important missions, firefighting, search and rescue operations, monitoring of critical infrastructure, disaster relief, and to aid with our military efforts. Plus, drones are used regularly by hobbyists and as toys, but they also have significant commercial applications as well across the commercial sector. But as we know, UASs can also be used for malicious reasons to aid terrorist activities, criminal organizations and cyber crimes, adversary governments in war or for surveillance, or even lone harmful actors with harmful objectives. Now, the use of drones has increased in the United States almost threefold over the past five years. Existing radar systems that we have are designed to detect much larger threats. And so because most commercial drones are constructed of plastic and are difficult to spot electronically because of their small size, right? They'll fly low to the ground and they don't carry a transponder to signal their positions. So they're nearly impossible to detect by our government. That makes them perfect for nefarious uses. So now what's the government going to do about this? And whatever they're doing, is that enough? I think it's really hard to say that at this point. The Pentagon's Joint Improved Threat Defense Organization, JIDO, is working to develop ways to combat terrorist drones abroad and in our home turf. Also in 2018, Congress passed the Preventing Emerging Threats Act, which provided limited legal authority for law enforcement officers to disrupt, seize, and disable drones to the extent necessary if they posed a threat to certain facilities and assets. The Federal Aviation Administration and NASA are also working on air traffic control systems to help track low-flying consumer drones to allow for legitimate flight activities. But this is all contingent on the use of drones by non-threat actors. For users with malign intent, the key is the identification of drones before they're used in a harmful way. Right now, one of the major issues before the government is the operation of drones manufactured and sold by high threat actors abroad. 
China and Russia are significant ones and are currently occupying the US, much of the US government's attention. To give you get better context here, the Chinese drone maker DJI, the most popular drone maker globally, controls over 75% of the global market share of drones. And last year, the government added, the US government added DJI to its entity list. And by virtue of being added to the entity list, the government essentially restricted U.S. exports to DJI because the risks that the government said DJI poses. Specifically, according to the government, DJI was likely enabling wide-scale human rights abuses within China through high-technology surveillance capabilities. But I want to be clear, the problem isn't just limited to one company, right? Other actors' surveillance activities and their IP theft, both within the United States and abroad, is capturing headlines and has been over the past several years. So the key is privacy concerns. Beyond drones being used for IP theft, the key is privacy concerns. So even though the United States and around the world, people generally are becoming more comfortable with the idea of giving up their privacy, I think there seems to be among the general population a lack of full understanding of the risks that go along with this. So while it's true that we expect some public movements, conversations by us to be seen by others, we're now coming to a greater realization that nefarious actors could very much be targeting our moves and our activities of our families and children. And as we know from malign actors, civilian targets can be just as important as military targets. So understanding these vulnerabilities here is key to understanding why the U.S. government is moving forward with more aggressive regulations on the use of drones. In 2019, the U.S. government proposed the ban on Chinese drones by U.S. government agencies under the American Security Drone Act, which, by the way, was reintroduced again this year in the Senate. But at this time, it's not clear where that's going to go. Then in 2021, then President Trump issued the executive order entitled Protecting the United States from Certain Unmanned Aircraft Systems. And that executive order ordered the heads of all executive departments and federal agencies to assess whether they would cease the procurement of drones by high threat actors. The order also directed the departments to submit a report to the intelligence community and to the White House's Office of Science and Technology Policy describing any security protocols in place for drones currently used by the government. And now President Biden has a report before him by the intelligence community and by the heads of agencies that should be laying out the security risks posed by the existing federal UAS fleet and outlining steps that could be taken to mitigate these risks, including, if it's warranted, discontinuing the use of UASs supplied and operated by high threat actors, including those from Iran, China, Russia, and other foreign nations that have engaged per the order in a long-term pattern of serious instances of conduct that's significantly adverse to our national security and economic interests. That again, just deals with the federal government fleet about the risks and more work certainly needs to be done on the extent to which the government believes that the drones used for commercial purposes also pose national security threats and whether they move to ultimately restrict them or better regulate them 
or alternatively, find out ways to intercept them to the extent that they're being misused. And now, Josh, I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts and perspectives on drones. Sure, and, and thanks for laying that out. I mean, I think that's a really good summary of the concerns that have been raised about the kinds of things that might be done with drones and the kinds of concerns that people have with drones that are manufactured by high threat actors, right? By, by folks who we can't vouch for or who we think have uh, malign interests of their own with respect to the United States. And, and really, I think that, you know, there are a couple of different things that you've talked about, right? One is the security of the drone itself, whether the drone is susceptible to hacking or, or cybersecurity threats, whether the drone has data integrity, right? Whether the, there are a lot of concerns that have been raised about data being uh, moved overseas and then losing control over that data, or perhaps a foreign government can then access the data through foreign legal processes that, that we don't have any say over. And that's obviously top of mind concern for a lot of government agent agencies who are used to dealing with fairly sensitive data. And then there's a second piece, which I think you alluded to, which is this sort of competitive concern. You know, you mentioned that there's a, a Chinese drone manufacturer that has something like 70% of the market. That is especially true at the lower end of the, you know, what you might call the, the high-end consumer prosumer market. And that's an area where Price points are so attractive that government agencies can get real bang for the buck. If they go and they buy these commercial off-the-shelf products, they can go out and buy a whole lot of them and, and really expand their capabilities. But the question that comes up is, you know, sort of at what cost generally does that expansion of capabilities by the government, the ability of the government to go out and buy these drones and, and use them in for forest fires and whatnot, uh, come at the expense of uh, an American drone manufacturing industry? Does it, does it essentially wreck any chance of an American drone manufacturing industry to, to, to be put together? And as Aki mentioned, the possibility that whatever the government did would serve as a template or a blueprint for the private sector going forward. And I think we're already seeing that, you know, there's, there's been some back and forth over this blue SUAS program that was developed as a result of these concerns over high threat actor drones, identified a few drone solutions that could be used in order to provide commercial off-the-shelf products, there's been some controversy over that, right? Because it's not clear that those drones are available. It's not clear that they meet the requirements that agencies like the Department of Interior have. Um, and so there's been some pushback on whether or not that really does the job, but maybe all that's doing is highlighting that the market right now, as it's sort of currently structured, is subject to you know domination by uh, low-cost uh, Chinese equipment. And then one of the things that we've seen happen, I think, by some of our competitors, our foreign country competitors, uh, especially those in sort of non-market economies, and, and there's decades of experience that we've had with this, is, you know, at what price point are we going to be able to compete, right? If you have, um, and some of the largest uh, drone producers that are not Chinese are certainly in Europe and certainly in the United States, the market-based system just operates entirely differently. So we find that we're always being underpriced by non-market economy countries, namely China, because of its uh, enormous size and scale and certain practices. So that's the challenge for U.S. industries too. I think the U.S. government is gonna be able to re regulate the terms of use, but then what about competition in terms of prices, Josh, that you've talked about? And then how far is the U.S. government willing to go? How far are the governments of our allies willing to go to make sure that they create a level playing field for, for non-Chinese competitors 
to really get a footing into this market. And I think the free market competitive system is also crucially important to um, accelerate innovation. And we have to have a healthy competitive market system where global players can compete. And right now, that's not being permitted by underpriced goods basically dominating the market. Yeah, and I think one of the other issues that really sort of rears its head here is when I got into to doing drone regulation uh, almost seven years ago now, I think everyone expected it to move fairly quickly and for there to be a very dramatic expansion in the use and operation of, of SUAS by a wide variety of folks. And to some extent, it has, right? There, there has been a huge, as you sort of alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, there has been a huge expansion of use of drones over the past couple of years, but it's nowhere near as much as I think people thought it was going to be. And part of the reason for that, to be very blunt, is that the FAA hasn't moved to adopt the kinds of rules that are necessary to allow beyond visual line of sight operations, to allow operations over people in a routine way, to allow, you know, we're, we're just now getting remote ID systems and the remote ID systems that we're getting aren't, aren't the network systems that everyone expected, but are rather very sort of point to point broadcast systems all of that means that the addressable market here the actual market for drone use is smaller than i think people thought it was going to be you have the the consumer hobbyist market obviously folks are doing pretty well there part 107 does a good job of authorizing that kind of use and then you have the higher end models right the the larger models um, you have a number of companies that are building drones to their own specifications you have the wings and the amazons of the world who are going to be having you know, essentially bespoke models that they're going to get certified through the FAA process. But that middle ground, that that area between what you might call the hobbyist and the company that's building its own aircraft, there's really not a lot of operations in that space compared to what I think we thought there was going to be. And, and part of the blame for that is regulatory. So I don't think you can answer this question about how do we improve American manufacturing of drones without looking at that market opportunity issue and really encouraging faster regulation on the part of the FAA and getting these rules out there in such a way that it really allows the growth of those kinds of, of aircraft manufacturers. Now, I don't think that by itself will, will solve the problem, but having that opportunity to compete in a slightly higher margin, slightly higher end technological space would be really great for American drone manufacturers. That's a good point. The other point in the last administration was you know, okay, so if we do have faster regulations, right, that, that you mentioned, and of course that's going to be a good thing in terms of growing market opportunities for drone manufacturers, but then that also means that the risk, the threats grow, right, with, with the expanding market. And then um, what do we do and how do we mitigate those threats and those risks? Right now, I think the U.S. government is very cognizant of the data surveillance risks that, that the current drone fleet poses, that the fact that the data collected, the surveillance data that's collected can be exported because export regulations do not cover that kind of data. And then, so what do you do about those? And so I, if the government, what I imagine would happen is the more that the regulatory landscape evolves to create broader and broader market there's going to be an overlay of regulations that are going to try to grapple with this. And as we know, regulators don't get it right the first time often. And so there's going to be sort of a push and pull 
with what they'd like to achieve in terms of mitigating risks and threats and industry a response to say, this is actually impeding my ability to grow and you need to um, modify this element or this element. And so this is really only, Josh, I'm sure you would agree, the tip of the iceberg of what we are planning to see. And I think in a nutshell with market growth comes more and more regulations to mitigate, I think, what the government will perceive to be risks. No, I think that's a great point. I think one of the issues that we've seen you know, over the years has been an understandable security concern. The, the very threats that you mentioned at the top of the podcast, you know, those are top of mind. And no one wants to be in a situation where uh, they've authorized the use of a technology that turns out to be used in a, in a nefarious or malign way. The problem that I think the industry has run into and, and the regulators to some extent is that those risk assessments are often made in a classified setting or are made with information that's not available to the general public. And so it's hard to know what those risk calculuses look like. And in many cases, I mean, this and this happened with operations over people. In many cases, you'll have a sort of general security concern that, that you hear is, is holding up the regulations because you're worried that there's someone in the, in the government is worried about what might happen. But there isn't a whole lot of sense of what that security concern actually is on the part of the, the civilian world. And so, you know, you end up in a, in a slightly difficult position where um, without certainty about what the risks are that you're trying to mitigate, it's difficult to develop the technologies to mitigate those risks. At the same time, that's not a problem that is easy to solve because you certainly can't just say, well, okay, here, let us, let us give you all the classified information and we'll tell you what all the risks are. Um, that's not appropriate either. But it's, it, is a, it is a really thorny and very difficult problem that has bedeviled the drone industry now for several years. And I you know, certainly don't see it lifting uh, in the next few years. I think there's still going to be a lot of concerns. There's going to be more and more concerns. But what I'm hopeful for is that as we move forward, some of these concerns that you've articulated are going to be more sort of out in the open. And there will be more regulations that sort of address them and address them specifically and having sort of defined and named the concerns, we can we can try and move past them. You know, and I would actually love and just putting my sort of government regulator hat on is nobody, right? Nobody in the government wants to um, impede U.S. industry competitiveness because our ability to compete is really what's going to ultimately mitigate the risks. So what I would actually love to see, again, from the regulator standpoint is knowing that there's at least some information about what the government perceives to be threats out there in the public domain is is companies coming into the government and say this is the business model i'm i'm, I'm choosing and this is how i'm going to exercise sort of corporate responsibility data management systems what have you to mitigate those risks so then the uh, the government understands what options really exist at the company level in terms of data management where risks can be addressed in a meaningful way rather than sort of the big arm of government regulators basically choking an industry. So I think, again, industry should really be encouraged to understand that if regulations are coming out, they could actually avail themselves of the opportunity to work with the government to give them sort of big best practices advice from what they're doing to get the government to think about regulations in a more practical way than maybe regulators are traditionally used to. No, that's an excellent point. And I guess one of the, the upsides of being where we are in terms of the nascence of all of these regulations is that 
you still have a, an opportunity to get in there and influence what they are. And you're right, Nizak, there's a, there's a huge amount of information that's available to industry that isn't necessarily available to the regulator. And making that information available and going in and having those conversations and saying, look, here's what we want to do. Here's what we think we can do to mitigate the risks that come up from what we want to do. And here's how we think policy should be shaped in order to accommodate all of that, right? Those are incredibly important conversations to have. And the time to have them is now. I mean, the time to have them has been the past few years, but certainly the time to have them is now. As the new administration is sort of getting its feet underneath it and thinking about how it wants to proceed, you know, we've seen a lot of continuity in some of the economic and trade policies uh, from the, the prior administration. I think perhaps more continuity than a lot of people expected, uh, certainly on the issues with respect to China. And I don't imagine that that's going to change dramatically over the next six months or a year. I think you're going to see some you know, additional continuity in that regard. And, and I guess my, you know, my question to you, Nazak, is how do you make that case to the government? Who's the right person to talk to, the right agency, the right organization to go in and talk to? Yeah, Josh, that's an excellent point. So a couple of uh, things, and to your point, I really want to underscore now is the right time because the president has this report sitting on his desk that he's going to have to figure out how to address where the agencies and the intelligence community have laid out the risks. And I'm sure that they're not very different than what we just talked about uh, during this podcast, but what he wants to do about them. So I think now time is of the essence for industries to appear before the government. Now, which uh, unit of the government? I think when you start actually thinking about the branches of the government that would make sense, that would be engaged on these fronts, it would be the Department of Interior, which has a significant drone fleet. It would be groups within the Department of Defense, um, certainly the Air Force, uh, but also industrial policy. The Department of Defense's policy office in general, who's going to be looking at addressing these issues. It'll be the um, export control units of the government because the uh, interagencies comprised of the Department of Defense, State, Energy, and the Commerce Department are vote on entity list designations. They work together on export controls. So appearing before them actually makes perfect sense as well. And then in the executive order uh, that was issued in January, mandating that this report be done, Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House has front and center seat. So engaging with that office um, is, would be very important as well. There's a lot of different agencies, but, but that should also give industry encouragement that there's a lot of sets of eyes looking on this and looking at policy. Certainly FAA as well, uh, um, and I forgot to mention that. There's a lot of eyes looking at this to coordinate the right policy, but that also means that a number of agencies that industries are gonna have to just tick off and check the box in terms of meeting with and making their positions known. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and OSTP in particular has been across three administrations now, you know, sort of a center point focus for the benefits of drone integration, the benefits of, of developing this technology and uh, for American leadership in this technology. They had a, a strong role under the Obama administration, strong role under the Trump administration. I, I don't expect it to be any different under the Biden administration. And that's a that's a key set of ears to, to get in front of. Um, well, I think this is, you know, I, I hope a helpful introduction to this topic for our audience. Um, I know we're thinking about a part two of this podcast, which would maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the other specific issues that the government is doing. And Nazak, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I actually think that because 
supply chains are so front and center for the U.S. government's attention that we really should look into um, doing a deep dive on drone supply chains. I know NASA is doing a wonderful pilot project of looking at aerospace supply chains and making sure that the supply chains are strong and, and won't suffer from disruptions. And I think this is something that the drone industry could uh, greatly benefit from. So I think that the, the next item that would be ripe, not only for the podcast, but would really dovetail with the efforts of the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House, which they're working very hard on the supply chain front, is exploring the drone supply chain issue. Great. Well, we hope to have uh, some information about that podcast, number part two in our sort of series on this stuff shortly. Keep an, an ear peeled for that. Meanwhile, it has been great talking with you, Nazak. This is an extremely interesting issue. The national security implications have always been huge. The supply chain and, and global competitiveness issues also obviously a big deal and, and something that a lot of people are focused on. And we look forward to, to working with uh, anyone who wants to, to work on these issues and, and to helping out where we can. And as Josh said, these, these issues are multifaceted from the regulatory side, from the national security side, from the trade side, the economic side, supply chain front. There is always a lot to unpack. And should anybody have individual questions for us, we're always available to and happy to answer them, I should say. So we appreciate everybody listening to this podcast and stay tuned for round two of the drones issue. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.